0: If you'll turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter two, I've heard so much about building the wall. We're going to talk about it this morning. <laughs> no, I, uh, we've heard that in the news and all this mess going on. And, and just be, all I'll say about it is being prayer for our leaders, uh, that God will lead and and show them, give them direction of what they should do and. That's all I'm going to say about building a wall there. But we are going to talk about building a wall today. And, and some of the things that I, as I looked at this I wanted to share with you about what the Lord has shown me. Uh, so, I just wanted to share it with you today. Nehemiah chapter 2, and it's just going to be a very simple one day. Y'all just prepare yourselves. Just one verse I'm going to read to start with. To start with. All right. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Father, as we study Your Word, I pray, Father, that You would give me the words to say. Lord, that You would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Lord, write Your Word upon our heart this morning and and just direct us in the way that You would have us to go by the power of Your Spirit. Be glorified in all that we say and do in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Where we are at in in Nehemiah, and I've got to get rid of that, it's going to drive me nuts. Uh, In Nehemiah they are rebuilding the wall. Uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed and brought to just rubble pretty much after the Babylonians had gone in and and taken them captive. You remember this story that they they went into captivity because of their sin, because they disobeyed God, and God's hand of protection was uh, lifted off of them for a moment, or or was it? I think His hand of protection was on them all along, but He allowed the enemy to come in and to destroy the city and to take them captive. Now they had been they the the. The time of captivity was over, and they had returned to Jerusalem. Uh, there was at one point that they tried to rebuild the wall, and the enemy came in and, and tore it down. And, uh, and so they just were sort of living there with no protection, no wall around them. And by the way, walls around cities, that, that goes way back. That didn't just start with our president. That didn't just start with us. Uh, there are reasons for walls around cities to protect you from enemy and, and, and all the rest. But I want to talk about building walls. There are personal walls I believe we should have. There, I want to give you several applications. I told Robbins, I said, there's so many messages in this one passage of scripture, I don't know which one to do. So I'm going to give them all. How about that? And I'll do it in a quick way. But I would like to do a, a historical application. We'll talk about the wall. Why Nehemiah felt so strongly about it. As I told you where Israel is. So, so that's sort of the historical application. And then there, there's a practical application. You could you could put toward it. And then I want to do a personal application of building walls. So we'll go through that Lord willing in the next few minutes. And, and uh, so we'll just talk about the... Uh, where I was at, that, that Israel had come back. They're living in the city. There's no protection around them. There's rubble everywhere. Uh, gates probably still standing partially that have been burned up, and it, it was a city in ruins. And and they were living there. And, and there was uh, we read later in Nehemiah, I think around chapter seven or so. If you read all the genealogies, anybody ever read the book of Nehemiah? You want to quit about chapter four trust me. Because most of that is all this person, that person, and I'm not going to begin to pronounce all these things. But he was taking a consensus of who was there. And the count was I think around 42,000 Jews had returned back to Jerusalem and were living in the city with no walls to protect them. The enemy would come and they were just in in a, a, a bad situation. It says in verse 17, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth in waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And he says, come, let us build the wall. So, who is Nehemiah? Where was Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah was, was a cupbearer to the king. Um, now, what was a cupbearer? It was a, a good job, I guess, as long as things were going well. Okay, A cupbearer to the king, his job, he was a real personal to the king. He was almost like his secret service that was to protect the king, uh, to advise the king of security and advise the king of situ- different situations. He was a Jew, but living with the king. And uh, he was there, and his job was if the king got wine, Nehemiah drank it first. If the king got food, Nehemiah ate it first. Probably good food. The best food in all the land. So why did Nehemiah eat it before the king? To see if it had poison in it. So as long as everything was going well, Nehemiah had a pretty good job. It was great where he was at. But he was a pretty important person. He was a pretty prominent person. He was uh, considered a governor in the area. um, And a... he, he did this day in and day out and, and uh, one day in uh, chapter 1 we see that uh, chapter 1 verse 2 it says uh, that Han and, I, Han and I one of my brethren came and he uh, and he, he certain of, of Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So here he is, he's doing the king's work day in and day out, but his heart is still in Jerusalem. And we see that when some of his Jewish friends come to visit him. And they're sitting there talking, and and he shows that he cares still, and his heart still cares for Jerusalem and for the Jewish people because he says, How are they doing? You ever done that? You're just concerned and buried. I've done it several times this morning. Hey, how are they doing? How is that? We've been praying for them. We're hoping the best for them. How are they doing? And the report that he gives. So first of all, uh, if we're going to build walls, if we're going to do anything, first of all, you have to come up with someone who cares. Is there something you care about? Is there something that's on your heart that you feel like that God has laid there that you feel deeply about? Nehemiah cared about Israel. He inquired about Israel. And the news that he got wasn't too, too good. So, um, first of all, one needs to care. And then he got the report in, in verse 3 of how that they were in in, in a bad way and and. and Suffering and and all the rest, and I'm sort of going to summarize the first two or three chapters. So just hold on to that. So in in verse three, he gets the report from them how that the city is is in waste and they're in a bad situation. And what is the next thing that Nehemiah does? He cared enough to pray when he heard this news about the situation of Jerusalem and his friends is relatives and his brethren in Jerusalem he cared enough to pray. And it came to pass when they heard these words in verse 4, when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah cared. Nehemiah cared enough to pray. Have you ever been in a situation where you you act like you care and you know, it's always been a joke with me and my brother. People come up to me and say, hey, how you doing? And my brother say, you know they don't care how you're doing. That's just something they say. But they, some of them genuinely do. But how are they doing? And then you hear the report and you're like, yeah, okay, that's good. And you just go off and forget about them. But Nehemiah showed that he can, he cared passionately because it was en- enough to bring to God in prayer. He mourned for them for certain days. He was saddened in his heart and troubled in his heart and he prayed to God that, that they would uh, that something could be done. So Nehemiah did this. I also want to point out that if, if you care enough, you care, you care enough to pray. Now, be patient. Now, I'm giving you the historical part. And I'm going to give you all this like, oh, this is great. Nehemiah did this how many years ago, Kenny? I want to give this to you in, in, in the application for us and for you personally in just a minute. So, now we need to be patient. We look in verse 1 of chapter 1. Uh, Nehemiah starts uh, the words of Nehemiah. He wrote the book, the son of Hakali. And it came to pass in the month of Sislu in the 12th year as I was in uh, Shushan the palace." So, he was in Shushan the palace uh, with the king. And then if you look at chapter 2 verse 1 he says again, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 12th year of Artaxes the king, Uh, That wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been before sad in his presence." So, we conclude from that that after his friends came and told him about the desolation and the hardship in Jerusalem and how his brothers and sisters and, and, and all the rest were having such a difficult time. If we look at those two verses, you find there have four months has passed. Four months has passed since he got the news, since he wept and he cried for his people in Jerusalem and he prayed out to God. That's the rest of what chapter one is about, is his prayer to God. And so four months later, here he is, he's serving the king, is still on his heart, on his mind about his Family and friends in Jerusalem, and he's sad. Now, this was a uh, this was a problem. Uh, he was being very patient in God's direction. Uh, he could have probably at the very beginning, when he heard the news, he wanted to run out and do something and fix it. But the problem is, God hadn't told him what to fix, how to fix, what he could do. He hadn't got direction yet from God. He was praying for this and. And asking God, so he was patiently waiting for four months. Uh, No doubt waiting for an opportunity to bring this up to the king. So now we come to verse 2 of chapter 2. We need courage. All right? We need to care. We need to care enough to pray. We need to be patient. And we need to have courage. Courage. Why did Nehemiah need courage? Look at uh, verse two of chapter two. Wherefore the king said unto me, Now, remember in verse one, he was serving the king, and he was sad. So the king says, Wherefore, uh, wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was ver- then I was very sore afraid. In those days the king was not supposed to be around anything that would make him sad. The king was not supposed to be around things that would that bring his uh, cheer down, I guess, or it kept him away from problems and all the rest. And his servants, if they were having a bad day, they didn't go in to see the king. They didn't serve the king. And they were very protective of the king. And But, but uh, Nehemiah, being the cupbearer, was in the place of the king and and the king noticed that he was very sad. So that was a problem. If if one was sad before him, the king all he had to do is at the word of his mouth to send him away. I mean if he wanted to, he could have had him killed. He could have had him put to death for being in his presence like that. Very much different than today. Okay, very much different than our government and how we operate. And we all will fuss about the voice that we have. Y'all lived with a king that just a word of his mouth, they could have you executed or they could have you uh, put away. Uh, so he was, uh, he was sad and the king noticed and he said, I was sore afraid. So my next point would be, if we're going to do something for the Lord, we need to have courage. All right. So now we need to know that God's in control of all things. And I'm seeing all this from what Nehemiah is saying uh, in his testimony. Chapter 2, verse 8: And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which are apprehended to the, uh, appertained to the house, and for the walls of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according, listen to that, look at that, according to the good hand of my God upon me. So in verse 2, the king noticed he said, uh, he was sore afraid, and then Nehemiah just said a quick prayer. Now a lot of times we do a quick prayer, right? Lord help me here. And then we to see but you don't understand there was four months of fasting and praying over this very thing. That brought him to this point. God had opened the window of opportunity. He didn't have to go to the king. The king came to him and said, hey, what you sad about? You're not sick. What an opportunity. What a, what a window that the Holy Spirit and that God had opened up to share what he had on his heart with the king. So he told the king all about Jerusalem and, and the land of his fathers, how it lay in waste. And he said, why shouldn't I be sad? And then in, and in all things, the, the king just says, what is it you want? What can I do to help you? I don't want to see you sad. What can I, do? you're talking about the hand of God working, that God is in control of all things. Why should this king co- co- care about Jerusalem. But because of Nehemiah, because just like Joshua and David and, and Daniel, God had placed his man in the place that he wanted him to have for his purpose. And so Nehemiah is there for a purpose, for a reason, and God opens the doors and Nehemiah gets to share what all's going on, and the king says, "What do you want? What can I do to help you?" And then he goes on to say, he says, well, I need this, 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 and this. And and then we see in verse 8, and he said, also, would you give me a letter to the keeper of the forest? What that is, is you, you couldn't cut trees down. You couldn't take anything off the land without the king's permission. And he had people that oversee that and to make sure you weren't doing that. So he wanted this letter uh, to Asaph, the keeper of the forest, that he could get timber off of it to to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, to rebuild the gates of Jerusalem. And not only, uh, then, and he, he recognizes, let me back up, he recognizes uh, that this is all the hand of God. The fact that, it, that uh, king, uh, the king asked for this was according to the good hand of my God upon me." He understood and recognized that God was in control of the opportunity, the window that opened to explain to the king. He understood that God was in control to place on the king's heart compassion for Nehemiah's sorrow. And he wanted him to offer whatever he could to help. And the king did all this. He offered all this and and sent him on his way. Is almost like Nehemiah says, my friends in Jerusalem, my family in Jerusalem, it lays in waste and they did a wall and you're going to pay for it. Y'all get that on the way home. He didn't say that, but the king paid for the whole bill. Wow, what an awesome God. Israel had a need. His people had a need. You have a need. God He will even use heathens to provide your need. God will um, or, or use people who aren't saved, who aren't his people to provide for you if you'll trust him. The hand of God was in this all the way. Nehemiah recognizes this. Now, so we understand that we need to have uh, to be caring, caring enough to pray, to be patient. We need courage. We need to know God's in control of all things. We need to know that opposition is coming. We talked about this some Wednesday night. Anytime you do anything for the Lord, you just better buckle your seatbelt. Opposition's coming, problems are coming. And this this was no different, even though he had granted from the king and had all this. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. When Sanballat, I love these names, the Hor- Horhite, and Tasheba, Tobiah, excuse me, the servant of the Amorite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and displeased us and said, What is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? So here it is. Nehemiah has gone to the king. He's he's granted him permission. He's given him the letters. He even sent him the captain of his army with him, a regime of men to go with him to protect him and help him. They go to Jerusalem, and they're there. And here's the neighboring enemies. And here they come with their mouth, running their mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love people just running their mouth and don't know what they're talking about. Just want to bring you down. Want to ridicule everything you want to do. What did Aaron McCullough said? Just want to have a holy slap. His opposition was coming. And they began by doing this. And we read later in, in the book of Nehemiah how they even, they even pressed harder to, to stop the wall. Nehemiah is in Jerusalem, and, and, uh, and as they saw this, they, they tried to bring him down. They tried to discourage him from what he was doing, and even accused him of going against the king, of being disloyal to the king. By the way, Nehemiah was very loyal to the king. I want you to understand that anytime we do something in our church, anytime God's at work, Satan doesn't like it and he's going to do his best to destroy it. Anytime you do something and, and you try to get closer to the Lord and, and, and want to know him more, trust me, opposition is coming. Satan is not going to like it. He's going to discourage you. Uh, there have been many times that I've stood up here and preached, and, and Monday morning I thought, "What that was stupid, just beat you down. I should have done way better. I should have prepared better. I said, though oh, I can't believe I even said those dumb things. Have you ever done anything and uh, I, you know just have a great time in the Lord and worship and all the rest? And Monday morning, here it comes. Boy, well, you made a fool out of yourself there, didn't you? It's opposition. That's Satan trying to tear down what God is trying to build up. So know that it's coming. Know that it's going to be there. But look what uh, Nehemiah did in verse twenty. We need to be persistent. Then answered I them and said, "Now these these men have accused him of of uh, going against the king and making fun of him and laughing at him. And his response could have been several ways. He could have gotten mad. Uh, it says later in Nehemiah that he did get frustrated with some of the people of Israel and and even punched some of them. That's my words, but that's not what he said." But he even hit some of them and pulled some of their hair out. So, Nehemiah was a little bit of brawler, I think. But not with these. See, we could have been a brawler. He could have done it that way, but where would that have got him? He could have just uh, walked away and ignored it, but where would that have got him? But this is what his response was. The God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will rise and build But but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, whatever we're doing in Jerusalem is none of your business. God has provided the means. God is providing the way. I've seen it. I've witnessed it, Nehemiah says, and you're not bringing me down because God's on my side. God's in control of this situation and it's nothing of your concern. What an attitude. What an attitude he, he had to be persistent in what God was calling. Uh, don't let hindrances, hindrances keep you from doing the will of God in your life. God will prosper you. They will build the wall. They say it took uh, almost a day and a half. Now, you're talking about God in it. God uh, opened the door for the opportunity for Nehemiah to talk, God prepared the means. For Nehemiah to rebuild the wall and uh, there was naysayers and opposition and and problems. Even the people within began to complain and all the rest. But they say it took about a day and a half to walk around Nehemiah's wall to do a complete perimeter of the wall. This was no little wall. This wall was thick and you could walk on the top of it and it had great towers and and, and all that. Look it up. They've even got pictures of some of the remains of it. But it took a day and a half to walk the circumference of it. But they built it in 52 days. 52 days it says that it took them to build this massive wall. Tell me God was not in that. Their persistence and their trusting in God Paid off, and now the last thing I want you to see in this part is that it we need uh, we need to remember that it, uh, serving the Lord and having purpose having His purpose takes everyone. Now, like I told you, there's so many. I could have preached a message on each chapter, I think, but I'm just trying to give you the overview today, just to witch your whistle a little bit. They say. Speaking of that, it takes everyone. We see in chapter 3 of how that the many people would come together and they would build their portion of the wall. And I thought it was interesting. Here is a wall. Jerusalem is in great dire, great mess. They have no protection of their enemies. And it starts out with the priest. And what is the first thing they do? Build a sheep gate. That is going to be very good in defense, right? And that's what our response is a lot of times to other people. We look at, why is David doing that? That's stupid. Doesn't he know we need to be doing this? Mr. Philip, I don't, I don't understand why he thinks that way. Maybe Clint, I mean, I, I, don't, I still don't understand Clint. I mean, you know. But you see where that could have come up? But what we need to understand is every person in God's house, every person in God's family is there for his purpose, is there for a reason. And it may not make sense to you, but it makes sense to God, and he's commanded them to do it. Let them do it. It was very important that, the, that he started out with the priest building the Sheep Gate because the Sheep Gate is where they let in the sacrifices. That was the number one thing was to keep God first and foremost in all that they did. That is I believe started why Nehemiah started out chapter 3 verse 1 that way. It may not make sense you think well shoot they ought to be putting up rocks. No they built a Sheep Gate first. They made a way to make sacrifices in the temple First and foremost, every job is important. Every person is important. Y'all seeing where I'm going with this yet? Back to our text, the purpose of the wall. I want you to look at a few things just in that one verse. In that one verse is a whole message. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in. Anytime you do something, you've got to be caring. You've got to care enough to pray, and you've got to evaluate the situation. We did that with this. We took several weeks, and we prayed, God, what is the vision for our church? What would you have us to do, Father, that would most glorify you and reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And after six weeks of prayer that we considered this, This would come up. We evaluated a need that we had to have more Sunday schools paid. We evaluated a need that we needed to have a place for the younger generation, an activity building. For them, if we're going to continue to grow, if we're going to survive, we've got to reach the younger generation. So the building program was born. Two years later, we're a little little over $80,000. $80,000 that God has bled, I think that's wonderful for this church. I think that's just awesome that God would provide for that way. And we are being patient about it. I mean, we could get on big campaigns and put up GoFundMe on Facebook and get out and cry and beg and all the rest in the streets. But I believe that God will control, will supply, and He's in control, and He's going to supply our needs in His time. If it takes four months or four years, God will provide the means within His time frame. Should we be doing all we could? Absolutely. But don't get upset about it. Be patient about it. Be, be patiently waiting. But you evaluate the situation. What was the situation? That Israel would lie in waste and the gates are burned. Uh, so you, you, you evaluate the situation. Uh, That's all throughout scriptures. Uh, David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Now we're doing our personal application. Know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way, and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Paul tells the Corinthians, but let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup before you have the Lord's supper. He says examine yourself. Evaluate your situation. Where are you at? I want to ask you today, where are you at with the Lord? Where are you at? Is he your Lord and Savior? If you've established that, are you living for him? Are you are you doing what he's telling you to do? Is he giving you a heart of compassion for the other? Are you evaluating your situation? So then after that, he says, this is the situation it lays away. And then to identify the problem. What is the problems we have? And then you come up with that, and and you come up with a solution. After he evaluates the situation, he identifies the problem, he comes up with a solution. We identified we don't have enough Sunday school space. We need to reach the younger generation. We need to to have more. This building here is falling down. Uh, We we identify the, the problem. We come up with a solution and waiting patiently on the Lord to supply that's what Nehemiah was doing here. This is, I mean, in your job, Daryl. There's a, there's a good business sense right there. To evaluate, identify, and to come up with a plan. Come up with a solution. What was the solution? And let us build the wall of Jerusalem. That's two seventeen. Let us build the building. Let it, What's the solution for me and you personally? I've identified a problem and, and God has shown me I'm falling short of certain things. What's the first thing that a, the, the solution would be for you personally? If God has shown you something that you're doing wrong or you're not exactly where you should, what is your first thing? Hello? Pray, what are you going to pray? First John 1:9 is a hint. Confess my sin to God. That's your salute. First of all, you start uh, just as a, a, a person that needs to be saved. Once you understand that I am a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, the first thing you do is acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, that you're a sinner and that you need salvation. Christians, if God uh, uh, tells you something and, and, and you understand that you're wrong and you confess your sin, there's the solution. And repent of that sin. Uh, throughout Scripture, repent means to turn around. To, something must change. The problem, we didn't have a wall. We need a wall. It's got to change. There's the solution. We don't have enough Sunday school place. Let's build a what building. There's a There's the solution. See, the people of Jerusalem were just sort of complacent. Day in and day out, they stepped over the rubble and walked around the what was left of the gate. It's just, it just is what it is. I messed up years ago, and this is what God's dealt us. So we just got to live with it, right? No. Build a wall. Evaluate your situation. Come up with a solution. Repent and turn from. Do something about it. Don't just accept. God is a loving Nehemiah says rather that you are a gracious God. You're a God of mercy. You're a God that will rebuild. Uh, he says in the first chapter, he says, if we turn away from you, you said you're going you're gonna to let our enemies overtake us. But if we'll turn back, you'll forgive our sins. And bring us back. Nehemiah understood that. Don't be complacent. Don't just let things go by. Well, it is what it is. That's just the way the world's going today. Can't do nothing about it. I don't know about that. What is God calling you to do to do something about that you're just being complacent about? And you just step over day after day and just think that's the way it is. See, they were, because of that they were in great affliction and reproach. In Revelation, the first couple of chapters, those letters to the churches, Jesus says to the churches, you've done this good, they've done that good, but I have something against you. I'm evaluating you. And this is your solution. Repent. Turn away from it or you'll become non-effective in the ministry. Basically, he said, I'll take your candlestick away. What that means is not that you lost your salvation. What that means is you'll no longer be effective in the ministry that I have for you if you don't repent of what you're doing. There's what your solution. There's what you do. Psalms 27.1 Remember that God is the builder and the keeper. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman work work, work, walk, waketh in vain. Excuse me. Isaiah wrote in chapter 26, verses 1 and 3, and I wonder if Isaiah was thinking about this day of the promises of the Lord in which Nehemiah would go when they would rebuild the wall. Isaiah 26 is a song. It says, In that day shall the song be sung of the land of Judah. We have a strong city. little different from what Nehemiah's first words of of Jerusalem was, wasn't it? They're desolate. They're in despair. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Nehemiah understood that God was in control. He trusted God and waited patiently for Him. He prayed to God for Him. He was was, a... persistent about what he's doing because he knew this is what God wanted. Nehemiah was in perfect peace because his mind was stayed on the will of God. The will of God was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Why was that so important? Because God knew his son was coming one day as a baby, as a child and he needed a city to be born in that was prophesied. Israel couldn't lay in waste any longer. God was preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And in the last part of that verse, He says, it says to be no more reproach. Whatever Nehemiah was doing, he was doing for the glory of God. That the, that the name of God would not be a reproach among the people. That the name of God would be wonderful, be glorious, be awesome in the ears of the people that heard his name. Everything we do ought to be done for the glory of God. We build this building. It's not so we can give special recognition to certain groups that give or build or come up with the idea. That building is for the glory of God. That we can bring this community and tell them about the saving grace of Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that's about for His glory, for His honor. Nehemiah recognized that. Now, I ask you in your personal life, if you evaluate and you look at what God is showing you and you're coming up with solutions, am I doing what I'm doing? What am I doing? And in, in my life, in my church, is it bringing glory to God that there be no more reproach? Interesting stuff about Nehemiah and the wall. Walls aren't so bad. I believe in that. You can even glorify God in a wall. It's just how you do it. How you trust him. How you depend on it. He'll make the way. Just go. Just be. It's interesting. I was talking to Derek. He went to Costa Rica on a missionary trip. God provided ways. Tell him how God was. Doing this and keeping the safety of the pastor down there that they held a gun to his head and told him not to preach the gospel anymore. And he's, you know, I don't really don't want to be a preacher, but God's called me to do it. Nehemiah probably really didn't want to do this, but God called him to do it. And God provides the way. God makes the protection. God will stand strong if you'll just trust him. God will lead you where he wants you to go. I believe he's going to do that with this building. I believe he's going to do it in your personal lives. If you'll just trust him. And be patient and wait on him. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your blessings to us. Lord, I pray that you would lead and guide us in every step that we make. Father, I ask that you would just search our hearts. And see, as David said, any wicked ways in us. Reveal to us, Lord, with the changes and the things that you would want us to turn from. And, Lord, give us what you want us to turn to. Give us direction as we seek your face and we seek to glorify you in all that we do in our community and in our lives and in our jobs and our homes. Father, be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.